Well, there are very few things that fascinate the human mind more than the possibility of a time machine. There are few things that fascinate our minds more than the possibility of traveling back in time and seeing events, seeing people that we think that we would really like to see. Now, this comes even though that we have read in books and we have seen in movies that traveling back in time doesn't always work out like it's supposed to. We've been warned that there are some dangers and there are some pitfalls when it comes to traveling back in time. I don't know how they know that, but that's just the way it turns out. But even though we know that there can be some dangers or we've been warned about doing that, we still want to do it, don't we? We still like the notion of traveling back in time to see, to experience people and events that we are really fascinated by. You know, when people are asked, I, I looked online for a survey and saw a lot, when people are asked to make a list of those people that they would like to travel back in time to see, you can only imagine how, how, how varied these lists are when it comes to those types of, of, of people. But here's the interesting thing is, that most frequently or often on those lists, there is one name that continually shows up. Can you guess whose name it is? Jesus. You're right. It's Jesus. He, he either shows up at the top or he shows up somewhere in the majority of lists of, uh, of, uh, that people say they want to go back in time to see. And I get that. I, I, I think that would just be an amazing thing. Well, while as far as I know, there are no time machines out there, we have no ability to travel back in time to see Jesus there were four men. Their names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these four men had as their mission to take the Christians of the latter part of the first century and every other century from there, and Christians of today, they had as their mission to be able to take Christians back in time to see Jesus. Back in time to see Jesus in, 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 in all of his glory and in, in, in all of the things that he did. And we don't have time this morning, obviously, to, to show how each one of those did that. But let, let's just remember a couple of things. Matthew, he, he took us back in time. And, and, and he showed us there in Matthew chapter 4. He, he showed us Jesus being tempted by Satan. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be there at that moment and see that interaction going on? He showed us what it looked like between Jesus and Satan, who was doing his very best to get Jesus to sin, and yet he failed. And Mark, when you look at some of the things he said, Mark does an amazing job of taking us back in time to see the miracles of Jesus. 
Just page after page after page. We see Jesus as he calms the storms and the oceans. We see Jesus as he heals those who are sick. We see Jesus as he takes just a handful of food and he turns it into a feast that feeds thousands. He shows us Jesus who even has the power to raise people from the dead. Then Luke has his own stories he takes us back and shows us Jesus in, in many different ways. But, but one of the sad pictures that he gives us is Jesus in the garden. Agonizing there in the garden as a bloodthirsty mob gathers and descends upon him in order to take him to his death. Luke 22. And John ends the picture. By showing us Jesus nailed to a cross, John chapter 19. And he takes us there and he puts us at the foot of the cross and he lets us see Jesus there and hear Jesus' words, it is finished, as he dies to save the world from sin. You see, we don't have a time machine. But these gospel writers had the power, inspired by the Spirit, and because they were there in so many of these situations, to take us back in time, to let us see Jesus, to let Him be seen as God incarnate, who came into the world to be God's great Messiah. Yes, the Gospels show us Jesus, but... We do see Jesus in other ways. I want you to think about it with me this morning. As we begin this new series, a series titled, But We Do See Jesus. And, and here's what we're going to do in this series. Instead of stepping back into the time machine of the Gospels, Instead of stepping in that, in that literary time machine and going back in time to see what Jesus did then, what we're going to do is this series is we're going to step out of and beyond the Gospels and let other New Testament writings bring us up to the present. We're going to let those writings take us beyond the Gospels to see Jesus as he is now. To not just simply go to the Gospels and see who Jesus was then and what he did for those people and in that context, but to really turn this around and see Jesus as he is now and what he's doing for you and what he's doing for me. I think this is going to be a great series. I'm excited about what we're seeing in Jesus. And let's start here. Let's start by opening our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 9. And you may read along with us on, on the screen here. Chapter 2 and verse 9 says, says this, But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, Namely, Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, we see him crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Bill came across this passage of Scripture, and, and it struck him. 
This statement, but we do see him. We do see Jesus. And he began to think about that. And, and he thought about what this would look like in a series. But what he's getting out of here, and this writer, what he's doing, is he's taking a group of people, he's writing to a group of people that are having difficulty really seeing Jesus in the way they should, and seeing Jesus in his spiritual vitality and value for their spiritual lives right at that moment, in present context. And so for the rest of this book, what he's going to do is, is he's going to start showing us, showing them Jesus, picture after picture after picture, and showing them not just simply what Jesus has done in the past, but what Jesus is doing for them now. He's going to show them a richer and fuller, more glorious picture of Jesus than they have in their minds. And that's going to be so important for their faith. But the thing we need to understand that it's not just the Hebrew writer that wants to show us a richer, fuller, more glorious picture of Jesus, but it seems like just about every New Testament writer, even outside of the Gospels, is showing us that picture and wants us to see it. And the reason why I think they want us to see that is because of this great importance. Because when we see Jesus in these ways, when we see Jesus for who he is now and what he is doing for us as his family, as his children, as his church, what it's going to do is it's going to create a deeper appreciation of him and create a firmer foundation in him. As his, as his children, and, and, and we've heard this in things that have been prayed about this morning and talked about and Chris talked about, we, we know that right now and any time really in our world, but especially now, we need to have a great and deep appreciation of Jesus and what he's doing in our lives and what he's doing for us. And we need to have that found, firm foundation in him when things start rocking and rolling. And, 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 and causing us trouble. And so that's what we want to do, and that's why this series is so important. So let's begin. And so we start this morning with the first lesson, and it's titled, But We Do See Jesus the Head. We see Jesus the Head. And it's always important. And here's where we need to begin. It's good and right Anytime that we talk about Jesus being the head is, is a time in we, which we need to see him as, first of all, the head over the church, head over all of us, head over his body called the church. And it's important to see that because uh, he is the one that that does have first place and has all authority over the church. And we can never lose sight of that. Every generation after another has to always see Jesus not, not just simply as this great good guy who did, who did wonderful things for the world, but the one who now has authority and determines what his church actually looks like. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1. And I want to read there for you a passage that, that puts this portrait of Jesus' headship into perspective. 
especially for us, the church. And I'm going to begin in Colossians 1 and verse 13. It says this, Colossians 1, 13, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is there before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now look at verse 18. He is also the head of the church, of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. As Paul writes to the Colossians, He wants them to understand this reality of Jesus being the head. Here we see Jesus, and and while we see him in, in all of these areas in which he's now ruling and reigning over all things, over all powers, over all authorities, over all dominions, as we see him reigning over all those things... Paul continues to say, and he also is the head of the church. He also is reigning over the church. It's important for us to see that he is the one who has the authority and power over his church. And the reason is, is because he is the one who sacrificed his life for it. He is the one through his sacrifice that pulled all of us out of the dominion of darkness and transformed us and and put us over into the kingdom of, of forgiveness and redemption through that sacrifice. He has the right, and we must rejoice and celebrate that right, that he is the one who reigns over us. He decides who we are. He decides what we do. He decides what we look like because he is, he is our head. Amen? Amen. Well, as you, as you sort of take in that aspect of the head, hang on, because I'm going to switch here a little bit. Or not just me, Paul's going to switch. This isn't him as the head over the church, having authority over the church. We see, and that's important. But there's another aspect of this headship that we need to see that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1. So go over to Ephesians chapter 1 now. Ephesians chapter 1. And I'll begin in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, 
which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection, verse 22, look at that, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. As, as he speaks to the Ephesians in this letter, he, he's bringing to their attention, and really in this prayer that he's lifting up, he wants his readers, he wants us to not only see Jesus as his list here in his prayer, he, he wants us not only to see Jesus as the source of our hope and see Jesus as the one who's blessing us with this rich, glorious inheritance, but catch this last part here, he wants us to see Jesus as the source of surpassing power towards us. Did you catch that? That he wants us to see Jesus in this place of authority, high and above all these powers over dominion and authority and rule. And he wants us to see him there showing his power towards us. You see, here's what he's, I kind of see him doing here in this text. It's as if he's, uh, once again, putting us in this time machine. And he's taking us back in time to see something, but he's also pulling us into the present to see something else as well. Watch this. In the past, he takes us, he, he takes us in the past. And this is what he's showing us. He's showing us that the forces of evil at work in Jesus' life when he walked this earth, that those forces of evil nailed him to a cross. And those forces of evil buried him in a tomb. And those forces of evil tried to make sure that him being known as the Savior of the world never got outside of that tomb, that that message would never get out of there. But even though he was entombed, at the moment in which they might quite possibly thought they had won the day, what God does, instead of, in spite of all of their evil power, what he does is he flexes his divine muscle. And he comes in, and he not only raises Jesus back from the grave, but he also sets him in power over all of the evil and all of the forces that put him there. Now, that's what he did in the past. But then, but he, he's going to take us to the present. And you're going to see this shift from being entombed to being now enthroned. That in the present, Jesus now rules over all powers. And that's what he's saying. And none, whether they're earthly or heavenly, whether they're angelic or demonic, whether they're any name that anybody claims to have power, understand that they can no longer exert any power over Jesus whatsoever. He is enthroned. 
And he has all power and authority over them and any purpose that they may have in life. You see, simply put, is now he is the head. Huh. But here's something I want you to see that maybe just a cursory reading of this passage of Scripture may escape you. I want you to see in verse 22 this very important prepositional phrase. It's really short, but it's really very powerful. There in verse 22, he, he says these words. He says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things. We know that and we've been hearing that. Now watch this. To the church. Now, this is different than Ephesians, I mean, than Colossians. Remember, in Colossians, he's head over all things, and he's head over the church. But he's giving us this new, and what I would call an inspiring nuance, and and, and lets us see Jesus in, in this way, and see and understand that Jesus isn't just reigning over the church, but Jesus is reigning to the church, for the church. That Jesus just, isn't just this, this divine CEO of the church, so to speak, but he is the great divine benefactor of the church. That he's doing and reigning and, and, and accomplishing his purposes for you and for me. Regardless of all of that power, regardless of all of their authority, he's reigning over all of that for your good and for my good as well. Praise God for that, that he's doing that for us. Isn't that inspiring to see that to the church, to you, and to me that he's showing them and showing us in those verses? Well, there's this importance, I think, this morning. I'm convinced in seeing what I'm considering to be this inspiring vision of Jesus, that we do see Jesus in these ways because I I believe it gives us three really important uh, gifts. Number one, to see Jesus as our head ruling for us, I think it brings important clarity to our lives. We have to confess, don't we? That we really don't get it. That we really can't see the perfect purposes of God at work in our world out there. We we, we think we have some sense and idea about what's going on with God. But the reality is, is we don't see His perfect purposes when it comes to the Ukraine. We don't see His perfect purposes when it comes to pandemics. We don't see his perfect purposes in the midst of violence, in any kind of darkness that we experience in this world. We don't see it. We, with our human eyes, can't see God at work that way, but we do see Jesus, our head. And we can clearly see, and I, I think about what Chris said in his communion talk, we, can, we, uh, we clearly see not the whys, but we clearly see the who. Right? 
We don't understand all the whys, but we know the who. We see clearly Jesus who is ruling over all and working all things out for our good. Romans 8 and verse 28. That's what we see. We can see that clearly in the midst of dark times. But it's this headship of Jesus that also uh, lets us see and have needed courage. Are you hearing it? Are you hearing that cacophony of voices out there in the world that are shouting at us and they're shouting against our allegiance to the Word of God? They're trying to push us away and dissuade us from believing that the truths of God's Word, these things, the, this word right here, is the only standard of truth and righteousness in the world for all of humanity. They keep trying to shout down this truth. But as they shout down this truth, do we not still see Jesus? That we still see Jesus as the one who is not just ruling over all things, but the one who gives us these words of truth, words of truth that still have the power to save the souls of men and judge the evil that's in this world. We see Jesus, and because we see Jesus, we're going to continue to preach the word in season and out of season. And seeing Jesus gives us the courage to do just that. But seeing Jesus also, I think, gives us the needed confidence. We know that Satan is always pointing the finger at us, saying they're not doing right. They're not living up to their standards. He's the accuser before God. He's talking about us. And when you think about it, (laughs) he actually has a pretty good case, doesn't he? I mean, he, he, he has a good case in view of our mistakes and all of our spiritual weaknesses. But here's the deal, is even as he speaks those words against us, we still see Jesus. We see Jesus in this moment exerting his power, the power of his blood of justification. Even in those moments in which Satan says they're wrong and they're sinning, Jesus comes in and, and, and says in a kind way, shut up. Now, kids can never say that in a kind way. So, you kids, you never say that. Or adults. But when Jesus is talking to Satan through his blood, he can say that. Amen? You just need to shut up. Because of the power of my blood, you have no place in accusing my elect. And not only is he going to empower us with his blood, he's going to empower us, and Charles talked about this last week, with that spiritual armor of Ephesians 6 that he wants to give us to make sure that we don't fall victim to Satan's attack. You see, when we really see what Jesus is doing in our lives, it gives us great, great confidence. 
even confidence in the times when we look around and maybe we've lost our hope in this world. Or maybe we look and we have a sense and a feeling that this may be the last day, that there may be no more tomorrows. But even if that is true, even if that is our last day, we do see Jesus who is giving us that victory over death. Has guaranteed that for us. Has promised that to us. And he's holding that by the power of his might reserved in heaven until the day you need it and I need it. Eternal life. <laughs> My guess is That if there was no such thing as a time machine, and since there's not, we would still want to travel back in time to see Jesus. If, if, if that was at all possible, my guess is, is that we would do just that. If we could travel back in time to see Jesus we would every one of us do it. What a blessing and encouragement that would be. But here's the point this morning. Let's stop thinking about traveling back in time to see Jesus and let's open our eyes and see Jesus today. To see Jesus where he is right now, reigning in heaven for you and for me. When you need clarity for life, See Jesus. When you need courage in life, see Jesus. When you need confidence in life, my encouragement to you is see Jesus. Because when you do, you'll see that He is the head over all things to you and to me, to His church. This morning, you can begin enjoying the headship of Jesus Christ if you're not. You can place your faith in Him and put Him on in baptism. Receive the forgiveness of your sins and, and be raised up to begin to walk underneath His rule. Yes, He gets to tell us where to go and how to live. But understand, we live underneath a headship in which He is working in our behalf. If you haven't made him your head this morning, do so while we stand and while we sing.